This episode brought in part by Serverless Guru and made possible by the ever-growing and passionate Serverless community. Whether you're just starting your serverless journey, halfway through migrating your entire legacy system, or are an AWS hero, Serverless Guru can help you migrate, build applications, and train your team on best practices. With a team of front-end, back-end, and full-stack cloud developers, Serverless Guru can get you where you want to be. Welcome to the Talking Serverless Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Jones, joined today by Hiro Nishimura, the founder of AWS Newbies and Cloud Newbies, founder of 24 Villages and AWS and AWS Hero, as well as being an instructor at LinkedIn and Egghead, where Hero teaches about AWS and Cloud. How are you doing today, Hero? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so this is a Talking Serverless Podcast. Although it is like Talking Serverless Podcast, I went into your background quite a bit and there was a lot of things that I feel like kind of sync up with some of the things that I've, a little bit of the journey that I've had as well with like getting started in tech and things like that. So I guess to kick this off, where did your journey start with all this and uh, how has it turned into today? We go back to the beginning. Yes. So I've had a very strange background getting to where I am today. So my majors in college were special education. So I'm a special education teacher. And once I graduated college, I wanted to go more in the back office. I like disability advocacy and stuff as opposed to teaching in the classroom. So I moved to New York looking for a job, couldn't find a job, probably put in like 400 applications over a span of half a year. And in the end, the one thing that got me a job was a job as a junior IT help desk engineer. And at that point, I had absolutely no background in tech. And I was like, wait, are you sure this is the person you want to be doing your help desk work for you? And conveniently, it turned out that they were looking for a bilingual help desk engineer. And I'm fluent in Japanese and English and their client needed a bilingual help desk engineer. So they're like, you know, we'll teach you the help desk stuff if you're willing to learn. And we really need your language skills. So I started working as a help desk engineer and learned everything on the job. And after about 10 months, I moved on to an IT support analyst role, which was more of proactive maintenance on servers and networks of clients, like small clients. And after a little over a year there, I moved on to a technical service engineer role at a tech startup. And that's when I first began encountering the cloud and SaaS products and stuff like that, because the previous two companies were more old-fashioned and legacy. So everything was on-premises. And I didn't know that this was, you know, the quote-unquote, the cloud when we were working. But, you know, we were using Okta, G Suite, Slack, like everything was up on the cloud. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. I, with no technical education or background, it was really difficult for me to find myself in like a sysadmin role when I didn't have decades of legacy understanding and knowledge. But with SaaS products, I felt like I could kind of be on par with a lot of my other admin and engineer coworkers because it was a lot more intuitive for me to use growing up with social media. So I was I was working there for about, I think, actually a year and a half when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my career and where I wanted to go because I knew I didn't want to do the help desk role forever. I wanted to see what's next. And one of the things that I came across was AWS. And I didn't know what AWS was. I didn't know what it did or why it was special. But I just knew that in our company, we used it. And one of my friends had just taken the Solutions Architect Associate exam and he passed and he got this really cool job with nice salaries and nice benefits. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. You know, what is this thing? I want to learn more about it. So I began learning a little bit more about it and I signed up to take the cloud practitioner exam because that's what my manager recommended I start with first. And I quickly ran into a wall where I didn't understand any of the resources or the courses or blogs that were trying to explain to me the AWS services and any content related to the cloud practitioner exam. And it took me a while to figure out why this was. And it turns out it's because 
people had been creating introductory cloud computing resources, but though they're for people who have never or haven't really worked with the cloud before, they're for people who have been in IT for a while. So even though they are created for people who don't work in cloud computing, they still take for granted you have legacy IT infrastructure background and knowledge. So the metaphors and the similes and the explanations they were using didn't mean anything to me because I didn't have that IT infrastructure background. So I had two weeks left before my exam and I was like, I don't know any of these things. I need a better way to study. And I thought back on how do I study best? And I was like, well, I'm a teacher. I learn best while teaching and explaining things in my own words. So let me just try to make myself a study sheet and do it like I'm teaching someone else. So I created awsnewbies.com, which is a resource website, which is actually just my own study sheet to pass the certification exam. And I created that in, I think, about nine days and then um, studied for it a few days, passed the certification exam, and I was all ready to just forget about it. But I think maybe a month or two after I created awsnewbies.com, I was contacted by a content manager at LinkedIn Learning asking if I'd be interested in creating introduction to AWS courses, specifically catered towards people with non-technical backgrounds. And that was around when I started getting a lot of people from different companies reaching out asking if I'd be interested in working as a technical writer for their company. And it was just really mind-blowing to me to realize that this thing that I do for fun as a hobby could actually be a career. Because I had no idea that technical writing was a job that you got paid a decent amount of money for. And this whole course thing also really blew my mind because I was like, wait, I created awsnewbies.com specifically because I have no idea what I'm talking about. Am I really the right person to be teaching such a course? And what they said to me was there's actually a lot of great people who teach intermediate and advanced level courses because they've been in the industry for 10, 20 years. They're like really good at what they do and they're really good at teaching that level. But because they've been there for so long, they don't have the beginner's mind. So they don't really understand what we don't understand as complete beginners. And that's where I come in because I have the beginner's mind because I don't understand. But also I have enough technical expertise to be able to then understand it and then break it down for people using my, I guess, background in special education. So suddenly something I thought I completely kind of left behind after I started my career in tech, came up and was like, hey, you know, these skills you have are actually really useful. So that's around when I started working as a technical writer and technical instructor and creating courses with LinkedIn. And after my half a year after my first course was published, I quit my full-time job to do more the technical writing and content creation full-time. And It's been a year and a half now since I made the leap. And since then, I've just been doing a lot of very different strange things, but always coming back to the core of I want to help deconstruct jargon and technical concepts for people so that anyone can access it and people can start careers, people can start learning new things. And yeah, I've been working as a consultant for about a year and a half now and Aside from the four courses I have at LinkedIn Learning, I also have been teaching CSS lessons and courses at Egghead, and I've also been doing technical writing for different startups for their documentations. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many things to like unpack. So uh, it's a very cool journey. And uh, some pieces of that resonated with me as well, like towards the when you were getting started in technical service engineering at the startup and then the SaaS products helped like kind of level the playing field a little bit. It sounds like that was something that I was coming into as well. Like I didn't go through a formal college. I, I went to a code school and while I was going through the code school, I learned about cloud was a thing. I realized later on that like I've been using cloud my entire life with social media, Google drive, all those things. It just started like 
clicking into place. And then I started realizing like the benefit of it by hearing people from like a cloud guru and other places talk about it. And then I, I started realizing like, oh, wow. Okay. So there's like this specific niche of cloud optimized architecture even further called serverless. And, you know, it's, it's like the SaaS products of enabling developers and or people to just do things more efficiently. And so someone said, it's the future. I jumped on board and I started feeling this like, like, wow, okay, I'm able to actually make a difference or, and do things even without like the 10 years of background and experience. And the cloud's kind of empowered that. And, you know, AWS has been a big driver behind that. So that's really cool. And then, and then one more thing that you mentioned too was the intro course was still too advanced and that the courses that were being created, the people that were creating them had a background already in it. And I think that that's a really interesting problem and something that it probably comes up with uh, the serverless space as well around the jargon that's being used is not fully, it's not coming from like, if you were coming directly from like a code school or you have some programming knowledge and then you're trying to learn serverless for the first time. And it can probably feel like a tsunami of information. So I guess like on that topic, how do you go about digesting all that information and then trying to put that into a structured form to like notes? How overwhelming was that experience and and what did you learn in the process? Yeah, so that, I only came to the realization of why the other resources weren't working for me after maybe a year or so when I was trying to analyze why exactly this happened. But I think one of the biggest things was that they're like, okay, so the cloud practitioner exam was really new when I took it. The content was like, okay, so this is these services. You need to know about these services. You need to know about billing. You need to know about this concept, that concept. And they're like, oh, well, the solutions architect has the same associates has the same content. So I think people just went and reused the same content that they use for solutions architect, just scoped to the cloud practitioner exam. But the problem there was that one solutions architect associate exam is catered towards people in IT, that people who've been working in IT infrastructure for a while. So inherently, when the cloud practitioner exam was marketed towards people who aren't working in tech, you know, accountants, lawyers, people who are in IT, but maybe they're junior in IT, you can't have the same resources and the same content go to these people and then expect them to understand like the engineers who have been working in IT for five years. And I think that was kind of like the gap that I was falling into. And a lot of people were falling into that gap too, because as soon as I created awsnewbies.com, I think within two or three months, I was getting over 10,000 hits organically per month to that blog. And that's just really strange as a random blog that came out of nowhere. But it was just something that a lot of people were struggling with. And I definitely struggled a lot with it, which is why I created it. But to me, bringing together all these resources and information and then combing through them to try to understand and then deconstruct it in my own words really, really helps me. So the fact that that helps other people is kind of a bonus for me. But I think throughout the years of um, learning how to teach during college and also teaching myself how to learn as I got into IT really helped with learning how to deconstruct concepts because I needed to be able to understand it, which means a lot of other people will be able to understand it. So I was kind of the caliber for myself. Like, if I read this, will I be like, oh, okay, I got this. And if that's not the case, I have to still go back and kind of re-research so that I knew what I was talking about, then it wasn't good enough. So that's kind of the way that I was writing the content. And then when I was making my courses, I started with like, what is the cloud? You know, what is the cloud? It's just the internet. It's the internet, but no one tells you that. You know, we try to deconstruct the jargon and I use a lot of metaphors and I try to use metaphors where people can relate to them and it's in their daily lives. So AWS seems really big and cloud computing seems really big and nebulous. And you're like, what is it? I'm like, well, you're already using the cloud. Like you said earlier, you know, if you use Google Drive, that's cloud computing. You're uploading your files onto 
Google Drive and then you can retrieve them later. And you can do the exact same thing with AWS S3. You upload files and then you can retrieve them. And so by kind of linking things that you're already using to other stuff that we're trying to teach them, I think that really helps people make the connection and not think that cloud computing AWS is as scary as a lot of people tend to try to make it seem. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's really cool to hear just like uh, some of the level of like impact you had when you first started the site and that, you know, you just create this thing. I think you said I created it in like nine days, which is impressive to begin with. And then I guess since then, like 10,000 viewers or people that were coming in visiting the site, what has the impact been since you released it? I think you mentioned that you kind of kicked off all these other things, but what does the impact look like now and how did the community receive it? Yeah, the website itself doesn't get that many hits these days. I think maybe a couple thousand a month, but it really has become a brand on its own, I think. And the fact that I created this is such a public portfolio that I have a lot of people coming to me asking if I'd be interested in writing their documentations. And I think that's like the biggest pull of kind of learning in public is whatever you create could be a blog, it could be a YouTube, it could be just tweeting content. Anything you create is there as your public portfolio. And you have no idea the reach that your blog post can potentially have. And that's exactly what happened with the LinkedIn learning courses is um, a content manager found my blog, my awsnewbies.com blog, and they reached out because they're like, hey, like how you explain things, would you be interested in creating courses with us? And creating courses with LinkedIn learning definitely changed my life. So it was not something I would have organically ever thought of doing. But because I had this blog up and people saw it, it created all these opportunities for me that I couldn't even imagine for myself. And I had no idea this was a career that you can have. So yeah, the impact has been great. And people still reach out to me about AWS Newbies and how it's helped. And a lot of people that take my courses reach out to me all the time saying how it's helped them pass their certification exams. So it's been a really cool experience, just kind of reaping the benefits of a few months of work. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very cool because that was one piece that I wanted to bring up was the learning in public part. And I saw it on your website. And then I saw the type of articles that you were rolling out and how you talked about the various things that you were going through with like OBS and like YouTube and so on. And then it it kind of made me think about when I was first starting and I, and I didn't know why I was doing it, but I was doing the same thing as well. I was writing articles about my experience in code school, my experience learning things. I guess it was helpful for me to kind of more concrete it in my mind, but it did help a lot. Like after I was writing these articles and putting content out there and, and doing that, um, it almost like it links to you, right? And it, then on people see you a certain way based on this stuff that may have only taken you, you know, an hour in a coffee shop or something like two years ago. So I, yeah, the, to transition the question, as you were writing the articles and they turned into, uh, the note-taking turned into AWS Newbies, and then you started helping with uh, technical documentation, LinkedIn courses. How did that transition to uh, writing a book? Because I saw that you had to publish a book on, I believe, freelance finances. Yes, yeah, so I'm still in the process of writing that book because my life got chaotic. But one of the things that's core to, I guess, everything I've been creating and doing, even with blog posts that uh, you're talking about with like OBS and YouTube, I'm always like, I do so much research and I ask so many people for advice or resources. And how can I help other people from having to spend that extra couple days or a couple weeks frustrated? So my blog posts usually are compiling information that I learned that I wish I could just Google and learn from a blog post. So I was sharing like, oh, look at all these tools for YouTube. Like I would have loved to know about these things before I started or, hey, this is how you do the OBS and you hook it up so that the sound comes through from your computer. It took me days to figure this out. So here it is for you. You can read it in two minutes. So the Freelance Finance 101 book is in the same vein because one of the things I found out when I left corporate was 
freelance and self-employment is actually shrouded in a lot of mysteries. And a lot of people don't like talking about it, especially the finance part of it. And so I've been struggling for a year and a half now trying to straighten my freelance finances out and learn things like even starting about like, how do I make a bank account for my business? How do I even get an LLC? What kind of company should I make? Is LLC even the right one for me? And I'm into personal finance and the FIRE movement. So one of the biggest pulls of going freelance was for me to pursue a lifestyle that I can feel comfortable in, and but I can still make enough money to live off. So uh, retirement is pretty big in my mind. So I'm like, uh, so if you're self-employed, how do you do retirement? And there's obviously a lot of technical documentations. And these days, there are some pretty good websites. But when you're kind of thrown out there and you're waiting in the waters going, um, so which way do I turn? What do I do? There's not that many resources that can just tell you like, hey, these are the things you need to do so that you don't get audited by the IRS. And these are ways you create a bank account, get a business credit card, create a solo 401k. And this is how you keep your books so that you don't end up spending all the money that you earn and then don't have enough money left for taxes. All these stuff that I wish someone, I had a mentor that could have told me these things when I first started instead of me kind of going almost in the dark, trying to feel my way into figuring these things out. So the book Freelance Finances 101, I'm hoping to publish sometime this year. And it's going to be all about how you can get all the knowledge that I have after feeling my way through for a year and a half in like, you know, however many pages, because that's definitely something I would have wanted when I first started a year and a half ago. Yeah, I can completely <laughs> agree with all points. Like when I started Serverless Guru, you know, the questions you mentioned is like LLC, there's like S Corp, there's like all these different company structures. I remember going to a, a just Chase Bank or something and, you know, and different banks and trying to just figure out if they would take me seriously to start a business bank account and how to start a, you know, get a credit, a business company credit card and all those things were each one of those. And then you're also trying to balance, making sure that you have money coming in. And if you have clients at the time or whatever your, your work product is, that it's actually getting rolled out and there's, you know, you're kind of just tripping over yourself. And I had the same thing happen with like my books being all over the place and <laughs> trying to go back in time and fix all those things. Um, and eventually I, I found that, you know, bookkeepers are not actually as expensive as I thought. So I, that was a, that was like a godsend that <laughs> you can basically have a bookkeeper help with some stuff, but yeah, that's a cool book. And I, even the solo 401k stuff that I haven't even gotten to that deep into that stuff either. So I think that's going to be really helpful to a lot of people and it's such a big hurdle and it's something that you get hit in the face by because no one tells you, like, they tell you, yeah, you can do, like, uh, freelance, you can start doing your own consulting business, something like that. But then once you actually get into it, then, like, real life comes and you kind of just have to pick up the pieces to figure it out. Yeah, I've been spending the past week or two dealing with taxes and it's a lot. I still am, like, dealing with stuff and, you know, you have to pay quarterly taxes. Like, you have to get your tax accounting in order, you know, and I finally, finally, finally... I think got an accountant and I'm very excited because I've been looking for one for so long and just stuff like that. You know, I was like, Oh, how does everyone do their accounting? And I keep on getting referred like these services or people that are like a thousand dollars a month retainer. And I'm like, bold of you to assume I even make a thousand dollars a month. You know, it's just people that I was talking to, I guess they were too far ahead of the game for me. So I was looking for people who are like maybe a couple years into freelancing, but turned out a lot of them are kind of barely keeping afloat too. So I was like, oh man, where do I find these information out? And um, I feel like I'm finally kind of floating after a year and a half. So I'm hoping I can cut everyone else's drowning period by a couple years once I publish this book. <laughs> No, no, it's uh, it makes total sense, and and yeah, I can see like the 
thousand dollar retainer or something i that's a, probably like one piece of just how effective something like like upwork can be for like freelance and the you know just being able to go and have someone that has a whole bunch of experience only charge you like two hours but then answer all the things that you've been panicking about for like two months <laughs> and they can just like give you that information it costs like 50 bucks and you're like okay sweet now i'm i'm like this, this like makes i'm on my way now so i yeah to kind of keep going down this path obviously this book seems like a byproduct of having to face these things yourself encountering with um starting your own businesses and going out on your own and so i guess uh just more of a personal question. What has starting these different ventures taught you about yourself? So one thing with starting your own business or going out on your own is you're suddenly every part of a company. And when I was working corporate, I was there to do a job. And if there was a big project, I had a project manager. I didn't have to worry about bringing in money some salespeople were doing that and I didn't have to worry about accounting or HR and definitely not what the CEO had to worry about. But I'm suddenly finding myself being every single one of them. And if I didn't figure out the finances, I'm not getting paid. But if I'm focusing too much on figuring taxes and all those other things out, then I'm not able to put my money into, uh, not my money, my time into actually getting the money to have these problems. It was a strange movement from a salaried employee to, I guess, technically kind of like a gig economy employee where you only get paid with what you work. And if you're not doing something, then you don't get money. You don't get that stable paycheck if you take time off. And one of the biggest things that I got into was um, trying to figure out ways to get passive income so that I have cash flow regardless of what I did. And I never had to think about stuff like that because in a way, working corporate is passive income. Sure, you're putting that 40 hours a week in, but you can take time off, you can get sick, you can do certain things. And as long as you're working salary job and not an hourly job, you get the same paycheck. Whereas suddenly I was like, oh, wait, how do I keep on having this um, financial like flow of money coming in? that hits a baseline of a certain point without having to scramble around to find new clients if I have to drop one or one's contract ends or something like that. And I've never worried about stuff like that before. But one thing I've been really impressed by is you learn so quick when that's you just have to do it. And I never thought I had these kinds of skill sets of project management and negotiations and money management and stuff like that because I'm a very, very, very anxious person. But here I am like a year and a half in and I'm like doing project management. I'm like able to have a semi-functional company and stuff like that's just really shocked me. And the ability for me to pivot every time there's a new client asking for something else and being able to offer what they are looking for has been really interesting. So I don't plan on going back to corporate, but I feel like if I ever do, well, all these stuff that I'm learning is going to be really, really beneficial in getting me the job that I want because this is not something you can readily get in corporate. So I kind of recommend that everyone try it out because I think it'll have really good benefits to their day job, even if they're not going to quit their day job. Yeah, I couldn't agree more that it's been surprising on my end as well with like how fast you end up picking stuff up when you're like up against a wall and you don't have a choice. It's <laughs> like you, you have to do this or the client is going to drop. It's like you have to get on this phone call. The client is upset with you. There's nobody else. Like it's just you have to get on that call. You have to talk to this person. You have to try to talk them off a cliff. And, you know, negotiating, speaking with confidence, all those things were just like all obstacles that you just run face forward into and then you run into the next one face forward. And then you look back later and you're like, oh, my gosh, like it's I've come so far. And I also agree with what you said around something like which ball do you drop? Right. And that's a constant process of like, yes, my taxes aren't in great shape, but <laughs> I have to do my job over here or I won't have money and then I won't ever have to worry about taxes in the future because I have no money. So 
balancing that is super tough. And so, yeah, so I, it can be tough and it can be lots of trials, but you know, there's so many, so much growth there too. And so I guess like one thing is that when you, when you encounter like negotiation or you get into these conversations where you're maybe talking to like another, you know, founder or head of like engineering or at a client or something, do you face imposter syndrome at all? And, and I guess like on a wider topic of imposter syndrome, like how has that been in your career? And have you found any strategies to overcome it or to just combat it? Oh, yes. I'm just a ball of imposter syndrome. And I've actually been giving talks and I think writing or doing podcast interviews about this a lot recently. Because one, you know, I don't have a technical background, but I was working in IT, which in itself is a very imposter syndrome thingy. And I call myself like the trifecta of underrepresentation. I am a minority woman and disabled in tech. And so the default phase has been that I wasn't taken seriously in many things. And I've had a lot of negative experiences with that. But somehow over the past couple of years, I've been able to turn the fact that I don't know. I call, I call myself the um, professional beginner. But the fact that I don't know is why my clients hire me because they want that beginner's mind and they want me as someone who doesn't understand or who doesn't know to create the content that will teach other people like me who don't know and who don't understand about their service or about certain topics. And so I've kind of been able to turn my imposter syndrome on its head and it's benefiting me a lot. And the fact that I can say, I don't know, that took, you know, five, six years of working in tech. And I think a lot of people, it takes a lot longer to get to the point where you can say, I don't know. And one thing that I found out is like being able to say, I don't know, and admit that you don't know is a form of self-confidence. You need a certain level of self-confidence to be able to admit that you don't know these things. And it just got to the point for me that I really didn't know and I really had no idea and I had to admit it because I did spend a couple years trying to mold myself into like the quote unquote tech bro, you know, wearing sweaters and 15 years of sysadmin experience. And I'm like, how do I become that? But it's impossible. I can't become that. And so I found myself a place where my skill sets and my imposterness, quote unquote, is valued. And of course, that's with the content side. And I think I'm pretty much running, you know, full speed in the content side, able to take advantage of the fact that I don't know. But on the business side, you know, that I am literally a beginner. Like I had no idea. I'd never done project management even, but now here I am trying to negotiate with potential clients and clients. And one thing I think I've gotten a lot better at in the past two years is decoupling what people are saying and doing with like emotion. So I think previously a lot of things, if someone said they didn't like what I did or something I've created they don't agree with, blah, blah, blah. To me, it was like an attack on me and my skills and my person, you know, because I wasn't confident enough to be able to decouple like valid criticism of my work so that we can work together to make it better with like an attack on me and value of me and my work. But now I'm like, no, no, this is just one, it could be a misunderstanding even, but two, this is going to make it better because these clients are paying me money to create something that they want. And I am here to make that happen, but we don't have to agree on everything. And being able to kind of decouple my work with like me as a person and the quality of my work has helped a lot. And also when something comes up and I don't really understand what they're thinking and why they would do certain things or say things that could be hurtful, I'm like, well, I don't have to be able to understand what exactly they're thinking, but these could be the mitigating circumstances that made them act this way or say these things. And being able to kind of, again, decouple like, oh, they're attacking me to like, wait, no, this is just like a business thing. And there are certain things that are happening in their life, in my life, and all these things, the mitigating features. So let's talk about it or let's figure out what's going on. and. Being able to think that way has really changed 
the way I work and the way I have a lot of anxiety because I have a lot of anxiety. So I'm that person in Twitter memes where people are like, managers, please never say, can we talk? You know, that was like, that's me. That's still me. But I've been kind of getting a little better slowly at being able to kind of tamper down my initial like freak out and be like, okay, this could mean a lot of things and not just that I'm getting fired today. So yeah, it, there's been a lot of like personal growth, I think, associated with the ways that I had to learn really quickly how to deal because I'm no longer the peon, right? I'm no longer the lowest rung employee who can rely on higher level employee or my manager. Like I have to deal with it. So that's been a change. Yeah. Do you think there's any like uh, element of like trial by fire and like the the fact of having to go through and experience it firsthand, then do you feel like that's also been like therapeutic for helping? Do you feel further along in terms of like imposter syndrome or anxiety from like when you first started or? So my first IT job was $14 an hour. And when I started consulting and I threw out a number or someone nudged me for a higher number and I got there, that was like the most validating kind of experience I've ever had in terms of like, wait, these people value my work. And in corporate, I didn't really feel like my work or my skills were being valued. But when you work freelance, you are, I guess, usually you want to be somewhere where you're excelling. And for me, that's like the intersection of tech and technical instruction and technical writing. And finding this niche has allowed me to really take everything that I've had and make me feel that it's okay to be me. Because in corporate, a lot of times you get hired to do a specific job and the job description is there. They have an idea of who they want. And that's probably not me. But then I have to try to mold myself into that person. Whereas when clients are consulting with me and they want my help, they want my whole package. They want my expertise, my background, and my thought process. So that definitely has helped with my imposter syndrome because I'm being hired to do exactly what I am and who I am. And when it comes to like something that you kind of got out there is like the almost like the euphoric moments of entrepreneurship and starting your own venture where there's been times where I've, you know, literally felt like running down the street because it was like, I want to run down the street. I want to high five random people because, you know, I got a contract signed or like you said, somebody agreed to this hourly rate and they could see that that value. Have you had moments like that? I've definitely had a lot of moments like that. When you start from zero, you get a lot of those moments because every client and every paycheck even is like really exciting. I think my my most recent one was when I got my last royalty payment for LinkedIn Learning, and it was more than my salary working in IT in New York. And that just was a huge validating moment for me to have made this leap. And, you know, it's like this many people are using what I've created. And even without money attached to it, I think that is like a really validating thing that makes you feel like, okay, I'm doing something that's helping people and that's what I wanted to do. So that's a, I mean, it's a really cool experience to have. Yeah, 100%. And another question I had, which is something that uh, I've struggled with is have you had, like, have you learned to say no to more things? I feel like when I was starting, like people would ask me to do a hundred different things and I would say yes to a hundred of them. And then I would, get so stressed out because it wasn't what I wanted to do or wasn't related to my focus. Have you ran into that? Yeah, that was definitely a huge problem. It still is a huge problem. But I realized after a while, it's like when you're working in corporate, your manager kind of gatekeeps that for you so that you don't get overwhelmed. At least that's what you hope they do. And suddenly I'm the one that has to say yes or no. And I was saying yes to everything because you know, when you're starting out, you're like, oh, no, I can't say no. <laughs> I have I have to do this. I need to make money. I need to have clients. But then you get so burnt out so quickly. And this year, I'm actually supposed to be not doing any work. It's not working out. But 
I was like, I quit my corporate job because I was burnt out. And then now I'm getting burnt out because I'm doing too much, you know, freelance work. And this is not why I quit my corporate stable job. So I was like, okay, 2021, I'm just going to focus on my health and mental health and everything. And um, I'm still ending up saying yes to a lot of things, but they're kind of more short-term projects, which I find fun because you do it and you're done. But I've definitely been trying to figure out what to focus on because people ask you to do a lot of different things and some things are not as exciting or fun as others. So I'm trying to figure out what it is that I enjoy doing and what I excel at doing so that I can focus on those things instead of dividing my attention to a lot of little things because it's very easy to get caught up in the little things. But it's hard to raise your rates and stuff like that and get really good at something if you keep on having your time sucked up by the little stuff that pays you like $10 an hour. So it's a work in progress. Gotcha. Yes, same here, same here. So I guess one of the the last questions, how do you stay focused when you are are doing this? Like when you wake up in the morning, how do you, because there's a lot of, like when you're working at a corporate job, there's a structure of it, there's a manager, there's somebody telling you what to do, there's somebody checking in on that. How do you stay focused as an entrepreneur and and being out there? And then you have to set the schedule, you have to keep the work, you have to make sure that people are getting messaged. Um, how do you go about that? Yeah, so I'm really bad at that because I have executive function disorder. So I have hyper focus and then I have like, nope, nothing getting done. So when I'm hyper focused, it's kind of when I was making awsnewbies.com, I was hyper focused. That's why I was able to create it in like nine days. Whereas a lot of times, just nothing, absolutely nothing is going to get done except Twitter. So one thing I've started using is this app called TickTick, which I really like. Um, It's like a calendar, task management, to-do list, and a habit tracker all in one. And that has helped me kind of schedule things and use block time. And I think using block time has helped a lot being like, okay, I'm going to sit down. This is three hours or two hours and I'm going to get this done and I'm not going to do anything else. I don't have to worry about anything else because I think a lot of times I get so distracted worrying about other things that I can't focus on the work at hand. So I'm like, okay, this, these two hours, nothing else is going to happen. I don't have to check my email. Like I don't have to do anything except get this done. And I think that has really helped like, just scheduling the time in and then doing it. And checking in has gotten to be a bit of a struggle because every client wants to use something different. Some people like Slack, some Discord, some email, some Twitter, you know, so I'm still in the process of trying to um, consolidate that. And then also not letting them invade into all of your time because when I was working corporate, because I'm contracted to work from like eight to five or something, you know, I was always in a help desk. So I was always supposed to check my email all the time because there might be tickets in there. And I had to check my Slack. I had to check this, that, that. So detoxing myself from the inclination to be available 24 seven has been a process that I'm still going through because it's like freelance and I'm not even uh, maintaining people's infrastructure. I'm I'm writing documentations for them. They do not need your response two seconds after they sent the email. But my brain is still in the IT help desk mode. It's like, oh no, they are locked out. They need help right now. So it's been a process. Yeah, I think you touched on like three things there that I think one was like rabbit holes. One was like clients invading your time and then like having to detox or like create boundaries. And I think, yeah, on the just on the first one, like on the I go down so many rabbit holes and I think if you looked on like the serverless guru YouTube, there's like a two hour and like 40 minute live stream where I'm just listening to serverless chats mm-hmm. <laughs> from Jeremy Daly and then pausing and then talking about it. And I'll just do that for like a ridiculous amount of time, not moving, not taking breaks. And then, yeah, there's other times, like you said, where it's like getting myself to even do anything like productive is takes like a, I got to really push myself. Yeah, so I guess, uh, and, and then on the second one, invading your time, how have you gone about like setting boundaries and making sure that clients aren't, inc- like you're not 
seeing your email at eight o'clock or 10 o'clock at night and then feeling like, yeah, I can reply to it. But yeah, how do you how do you go about that? Do you turn everything off at a certain time of day or what does that look like? Uh, so when I was working in corporate, I actually turn most of my notifications off except very, very like critical things that my manager wouldn't let me turn off. So after I quit, now I don't get any notification except like Facebook Messenger and text message because those are usually friends or family. And that has definitely, I think, helped a lot. And I took off stuff like Slack from my phone and I don't have anything that beeps at me. So when I check my email is when the email will get checked as opposed to I'm going to check it every time it flashes on my screen. And in the beginning, I was really, really anxious about that because I was like, oh, what if I miss it? But I'm such a like, I'm always so stuck on computers and the phone anyways that I'm not going to go that long without checking my email. And um, another thing that I try to do is I didn't have weekends for like a year. So actually, I never had weekends or holidays because when I had weekends and holidays on during my corporate time, I was using them to do my side hustles. So when I quit corporate, that just kind of bled through, even though I theoretically don't have that much work to do. So my brain was never off from work. So I've been trying to give myself weekends and time to just not touch the computer, not think about work and just work on things that I want to work on. And I think that's kind of helped because sometimes when your clients are also freelancers or self-employed, they also don't have weekends and they also message on the weekends. And then you guys can kind of get into this rabbit hole of communicating on the weekends just because you're both freelance. And so I think setting the boundary for yourself helps a lot with like the clients also feeling okay with having their own boundaries. Yeah, that's, uh, I can think back to many times where I've had client meetings on like a Saturday <laughs> or something at yeah. a coffee shop. I think that was, that was something where it was like very early on and I wasn't, I wasn't good at setting boundaries at all. And so it was, you know, I get a message from the client and then it would be like, here, let's meet and go over this or something. And it was like, well, it's it's like Saturday or Sunday. I was writing an article. I'm, I'm like, I'm doing something creative with my time or reading a book, but I'm not, I didn't have the intention of like meeting, but then I still said yes to it and then mm-hmm. got tied into it for like four hours. This detox idea, I think is really, really good. It's kind of interesting in the fact that personally, I'm like a software engineer slash like CEO of a consulting business. But man, I've just had this aversion towards towards technology lately. And I'm hitting this wall where like, I, I think my phone has been in my car for the past three days, and I haven't wow. touched it. And I, I yeah, just like, I've, I've been trying to turn off completely. And I don't, I don't, it's weird. It's like, I, every second I would wake up, I would touch my phone. And now I'm not doing that. And I'm, I'm not, it's not far enough along where I really fully know what the impact of it is. But I just feel like my head is a lot clearer. And I also feel that I felt that anxiety of like, you know, is the world blowing up right now? <laughs> like mm-hmm. what type of storms are brewing, you know, that are, you know, I'm not, I'm not constantly engaged on. I think we went through that period of time, at least in, in the US where it was like every single day was just like this major event. And I was trying to like do the business and also like focus on like family and all that stuff and them sending me messages about the, the, the craziness. And I, I don't know, I guess I just got overwhelmed, but <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's tricky. So I guess, yeah, on, on that note, I guess let's switch let's switch to the final question, which is um, when it comes to other people that are in the space or thinking about entrepreneurship or thinking about getting into cloud, what would be your advice to yourself five or 10 years ago? So five or 10 years ago, I was in school, had no idea any of this was even possible. So I think the biggest recommendation that I have is to kind of go out of your own space and your direct area of expertise and see what people are doing. Because I had absolutely no idea these kinds of careers that we're leading are possible. Because I had never, I couldn't imagine them because I didn't know about them. But now I'm surrounded by so many people doing so many cool things that I didn't realize existed. And in the beginning of your career, you're just kind of so overwhelmed with 
becoming who your employer hired to be because you're like a, you know, entry level employee, it's hard to kind of take a look around. But I think finding mentors or finding people who are just a couple years ahead of you in the employment track and seeing what they're doing and finding something that really speaks to you as a person and your skill sets is really important because I spent a couple years trying to become, I think I mentioned earlier, like this this person that works as a sysadmin in a tech startup. And I had to kill a lot of parts of myself to try to become that person. And I was very unhappy and I was depressed and I wasn't able to sleep on Sunday nights because I didn't want to go into work on Mondays. And I wish someone were able to tell me back then or even before that, that, hey, there are careers that, especially now with the whole revolution of technology, there's probably something that's catered just for you and you're just going to have to find it. But you don't necessarily have to become a caricature of something in order to be accepted and do well and find that dream career. So I have no idea what I'll be doing in five years, but I've stopped trying to speculate because real life has turned out to be a lot more exciting and mind-blowing than I could ever imagine my career to be. So Amazing. Just absolutely amazing. So I guess to wrap up, I know that you said that you're kind of taking a somewhat of a hiatus this year a little bit, but are there any things that you're working on currently or things that you want to promote or and also like how can people find you this you know your messages are correlating to them and they want to reach out and learn more about you and and what you're doing where do they look uh yeah so i think most of my links are at hirokonishimura.com which is my full name which is probably going to be somewhere you don't have to try to figure out how to spell it on this podcast so my twitter is also my full name And I'm always on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. And my LinkedIn learning courses, you can find at introtoaws.com. And awsnewbies.com is also a thing. And I blog at hiroko.io. And this year, I'm, I guess, working on the Freelance Finance 101 book, which is uh, freelancefinance101.com. And on YouTube, which I think is also my full name. (laughs) <laughs> I'm trying to like consolidate my brand. But yes, yeah, so I'm learning how to do video editing and stuff like that, which is putting me into a rabbit hole because it's like new skills that I haven't really tried out. So those are the kind of places I am at. But generally, I think all of my links are at hirokonishimura.com. Awesome. Well, thanks for being a guest, uh, Hiro. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me. To those listening, this has been the Talking Serverless podcast with Ryan Jones. If you like our show and want to learn more, check out talkingserverless.io and please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts if you found this content valuable. Uh, And of course, join us next time as we sit down with another fantastic guest. Mm